Coming up, Rangers game four is at Madison Square Garden tonight. I will break it down and tell you the keys for the Rangers to win this game and make this a series. We also have NBA playoffs talk. Obviously, the Mavs and Warriors, the Warriors on the brink of going back to the NBA finals. The Celtics and Heat, that series has been a seesaw back and forth. It's tied at two. And some drama with the Yankees, finally. All that and more coming up next. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome back. Episode 66. Here we go. A lot to talk about as always. NBA playoffs are rolling on as well as the Rangers play game four tonight at Madison Square Garden trailing in the series two to one to the Carolina Hurricanes. We knew it was going to be tough. We knew we'd likely be in this position down two one, but you got to win tonight. That's what it's all about. Win one game, send it back to Raleigh tied at two. So that's for the Rangers, and we'll get back to them a little bit sooner. But I want to start with the NBA playoffs because I haven't talked about the NBA playoffs in a little bit. And obviously the big news is with what happened with the Suns and Mavs in that series. And everyone's have had a little while to digest it. So I haven't talked about it yet. I've obviously talked about it a lot, but not on the podcast. I've been a little bit preoccupied with the Rangers. I don't know if you've been paying attention to the podcast. You probably know that by now. But I did want to talk about that series because as we're seeing what's happening in the Warrior series with the Mavericks, that also kind of adds a wrinkle to it. And the first piece I want to say before anything else, because I feel like a lot of people are not starting in this direction, is Luka. And Luka, wow. Like, that was really impressive. Luka Doncic turned into the guy that I think everyone hoped he would be. I think House of Highlights had a feeling this was the guy that he is. But you know how I feel about those guys who are constantly on House of Highlights, but I don't call them winning players. Um, A lot of people compared him to James Harden, a guy whose game is very single-player centric, and it's all about him holding the ball the entire possession. But it seems like he did everything in those games when he came back. After going down 2-0, they were down and out of that series. That series seemed over, and Luka Doncic didn't care. He was just like, hey, I'm taking over this series. And in game seven, he was the best player on the floor by far. And 30 seconds into the game, in game seven, that game was over. Like, you showed up and Luka had that look in his eye where he scored the first eight points. And all of a sudden, you're like, oh, my God, this is happening. Oh, my God. Like, as you're watching it, you're like, when is the run going to come? Is something going to happen from Phoenix? Are they going to push back? What's going to happen? And the Mavs just kept going and going and going and it was Luca the entire time had control from the tip of that game to the final whistle of that game Luka Doncic was in complete control the entire time and it's really incredible to watch as a basketball fan to see that and go oh my god this guy just turned into one of the superstars one of the best players in the world which we all thought he was up there but he really turned into that in that game and totally took over that game um, so that's really to me it's the Luka Doncic game more than anyone else now the flip side I said, wow, about Luka Doncic's performance. Wow about CP3. I mean, you're supposed to be this guy who's a leader. You're supposed to be this guy who makes everyone around you better. You're supposed to be this guy who, when you went to OKC, they said, hey, we're just going to tank and get you to the next team. You're like, no, I don't do that. And you fought and made the playoffs with that crazy, really bad, crappy Oklahoma City team. 
you're the guy who came into Phoenix because you saw what they did in the bubble, and all of a sudden you're like, hey, I saw that you guys have some heart, some spirit. I'm going to turn you guys into a championship contender. You went to the finals last year, and then you fell off, and then this year you came back. No, I'm doing it again. I'm going to be even better this year. I'm going to win 64 games. We're going to have one of the best regular seasons in NBA history. We're going to be dominant. We're going to go into the playoffs with the one seed, and we're going to crush everyone around us. We go up on the Mavs 2-0. This is easy. This is child's play. And what happened over the last four games of that series or five games of that series is just inexcusable. And then game seven happens and it's worse than anything. When you look at NBA collapses, you talk about the Warriors going up 3-1 against the Cavs and all the different things that happened in that series. But LeBron James was on the other side, right? Now, I know Luka Doncic is a great player, but how do you not even show up? The Suns didn't show up in that game. There was never a point where it felt like they were going to make the run, right? It was like it was still a relatively close game halfway through the second quarter. It felt like, okay, here comes the Suns run. Here it comes. And Chris Paul just never took over, seemed almost disinterested. And you could look at his teammates. You could look at Devin Booker and say, what were you doing in this series? You could look at everyone and say, what's going on in this game? Nobody showed up. But when you're the leader, when you're the guy who leads this team, you're the guy who everyone expects to be that guy that Chris Paul is and he doesn't show up at all, then everyone kind of follows. He never did anything. You expect him to start. We've seen how Chris Paul plays before where he takes over a game when he needs to, right? Usually he waits till the fourth quarter. He's trying to facilitate for everyone. He's trying to get everyone involved. It's what everyone loves about Chris Paul's how he gets his teammates involved and makes everyone, it's the opposite of a guy like James Harden, right? Who everyone's standing on the side and then when you get the ball, like you're cold, you're just standing there. Chris Paul wants to get everyone going early so that it opens up his game at the end of the game and he can take over. But we've seen times when he knows he needs to take over early in the game. He's taken over. He didn't do that. He just waited and waited and waited and it never happened. He was just standing there waiting for something to happen. And he never took over that game. And when they had 27 points as that the second half of that second quarter is going and you just see it slipping away and you saw it just start to... You're like, this is not going to turn... This is unbelievable. It was unbelievable to watch. It was stunning. I think every single person was sitting there absolutely stunned and Chris Paul just did nothing about it and just sat there and watched himself. And Luka Doncic after the game was just totally unfazed. Luka was like, yeah, uh, this is what I do. I just want another game. Um, It's not a big deal. (laughs) And he's like, on to the next one, right? We celebrate this one. We go on to the Warriors. And that's why when they went down 2-1 to the 2-0 to the Warriors, I was like, well, he could just do this again, right? I don't think there was ever a moment where Luka felt like he was even pressured. He was like, yeah, I came into this game. I dominated from the tip. And that was it. And this is a stain on Chris Paul's resume. I think it's worse than any other stain that you could say because you look back at his career. And I did this on a podcast last year where I went through the injuries and what happened in game six when he was on Houston and what happened when he was with the Clippers and the different reasons and circumstances of why he didn't succeed in the playoffs. This is the one where it's squarely on him. And not only is it on him, but it's the worst one by far. This is the worst collapse we've seen in his career. This is a collapse that's going to go down as one of the worst losses in NBA playoff history because of the way they folded in Game 7, The cut because of the way they never showed up. And I don't think I've ever seen that of a home team in any sport, in any series, where they have a Game 7 in their building, and they're the better team by far. They're the number one seed, and they don't show up at all. That... I've never seen before. And when you're talking about one of the greatest players of all time and you want to put him on that list of legacy players who make a team better and make a difference and you put that on his resume, that's a permanent stain that will never go away. And it's going to be hard to explain away. Even the guys who I listen to a lot, obviously, Ryan Rossillo is a huge Chris Paul guy. He's always made the excuses. He said, there's nothing to say for this one. There's no excuse. Does it change the way 
certain people are going to feel about Chris Paul's career? Maybe. And I, I said this in last episode, I don't want people to have that excuse for Chris Paul. I don't want people to, the, the Chris Paul haters to be able to say, look, the, look at this series. They have different things to point to. But now there's something for them to point to. Now there's something clear and evident that you could say, look at that game, that game seven against the Mavericks. That is why Chris Paul is not the great player that everyone says he is. And you can't argue that anymore. Now, with everything going on with their owner and everything going on with the team, it's hard to know what's going to happen moving forward. Devin Booker, a guy who people were talking about as an MVP candidate this season, is he a top five player? What's going on? Obviously, we flip-flop our opinions about everyone every five seconds. But how do you look at him the same way? We know what happened with Aiton. They barely play him. Chris Paul's only getting older. Are you sure he can be the best or second best player on a team that's capable of winning a championship? So what happens with this team now? Do they blow it up? What happens moving forward for this Phoenix Suns team? Something that came to my mind because I always bring it back to my team is now the Knicks will get Chris Paul because that would just be too classic. Now the Knicks will trade the fourth overall or whatever pick they have. I don't even remember. Um, I think it's 11. They're going to trade it for Chris Paul because that would just be too classic of the Knicks to trade that pick for a guy who so clearly just proved that A, he can't stay healthy for long enough to complete an entire playoff series, and B, he is not a guy who is going to carry a team when you need him to carry the team. I think he showed that in this series. He showed that in that game seven. He folded. He's well past his prime, unfortunately. Now would be the perfect time for the Knicks to be like, we got ourselves our point guard of the future. It's Chris Paul. Here it is. 38-year-old Chris Paul. So that would just be too classic. Um, I don't want this to get lost in the shuffle, though, because as much as I'm talking about the Suns, and I do think it's pathetic, and I think this is on the Suns more than anyone else, I don't want it to get lost how much respect I gained for Luka Doncic and what the Mavericks did in this game um, and then they go to the Warriors series and the fact that they're down 3-0 to the Warriors doesn't that even make it a bigger stain on the Suns isn't it like oh my god you guys got killed at home in game seven by this team that's now getting dominated by the Warriors in the next round so were the Mavs that legit were the Suns that fraudulent like what is it right so I do want to get to that series for a second um, first of all just classic media stuff. So before game one, the picture comes out of Luca, right? He's at the restaurant sipping a beer and the media like paused. They're like, okay, we don't know what to do with this. This is great content. We're going to have, you know, Colin Coward is going to do an entire segment about this tomorrow one way or another. But is the take going to be, oh my God, Luca, he's drinking a beer the next day. He comes out and he dominates you on your own court. Or is it going to be, this is why folks, Luca is not a player. He's not a, he's not the guy you want leading your franchise because he's drinking a beer before game 1. So I said it depends if they win, then all of a sudden it's like, "Oh my god, Luca, he's sitting there, he's so relaxed, he drank a beer before the game and then he won." Or if they lose, then it's like, "Oh, Luca, what are you doing? You're out drinking a beer the day before a game? What are you doing?" So I kind of waited to see what the media's reaction. And obviously they're down 3-0 in the series, so I'm sure that picture will come back with this is why he can't be the guy, blah 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 blah, as if you forgot what he just did to Chris Paul 2 seconds ago. To Devin Booker, who people were starting to say, oh, maybe he's better than Luka two seconds ago in Game 7 in that series. And by the way, Luka's playing a great series. But this is what we talk about with the ISO guys, the James Harden type guys. But it's also look at the Warriors. I, I thought after Game 1, Luka was very, like I said about after Game 7, he was on phase. He was just like, yeah, we're down 1-0. We'll come back. We could still win this. Even after being down 0 to Phoenix, the way they were blown out in the first two games against Phoenix, they came back and won. 
the Warriors did not let them win game three. The Warriors were like, hey, we saw what happened in that Phoenix series. We're going to put them away. We're going to put them away now. We're going to put them away early and end this. We don't want the same thing to happen to us. And that's because they respect how good Luka is. Then they know how good he can be and how good this Mavericks team can be. And they said, we need to put them away. And the Warriors take bit care, took care of business because that's what great teams do. And that's another thing I want to get to. This Warriors team, this is the pedigree. This is the championship. This is maybe... Steph Curry, not even the same guy. He's probably 90% of the guy he was in his prime. Draymond Green, maybe he's not the same guy he was. He's not a superstar in this league. Klay Thompson is a shell of himself. Jordan Poole hasn't been great yet in this series. Andrew Wiggins all of a sudden is one of the big-time players in this series, which you guys know what my feelings are on Andrew Wiggins, the fake all-star that he is. (laughs) And yet the Warriors are back. And the difference between now and the Dynasty Warriors early on So the dynasty from the beginning, I guess everyone was rooting for LeBron when they were the 73-win Warriors, and then especially when KD showed up, and all of a sudden that Warrior team became the villain Warriors team, everyone was rooting against the Warriors, and now it's kind of flipped. Now everyone's kind of on their side. Everyone wants to see, oh my God, this same core, these guys that were so good 5, 10 years ago, now they're the ones that are still around. They're this team that's a destiny team, that's a championship team. They're still going. I think everyone loves it. I think everyone appreciates what the Warriors have been able to maintain and the greatness that they've been able to maintain. And seeing a core together like this for this long, it's starting to feel like the second burst of when you had the Spurs with Manu and Tony and obviously the big fundamental, Tim Duncan. Like That's what it's starting to feel like with this team when you have Draymond, Clay, and Steph carrying a team and they're going to go to another finals. They should close out the series. I think when teams go down 3-0 in the devastating fashion that they went down 3-0, the Mavericks did, you tend to lose game four and just fold. So Luka is going to show me a lot to see if he has some heart tonight and if they can win a game in game four. But this series is going to end. They're not coming back from down 3-0. I'm willing to put my name out there on the line. And if they do come back from down 3-0... And they're the first, I think it would be the first team in NBA history, maybe the second, to come back from a 3-0 deficit in a series and beat this Warriors team. I'd be shocked, but at the same time, I'm willing to take that chance, put me on freezing cold takes or whatever. Uh, The Warriors should be going to the finals, and it's really impressive uh, what they've been able to do, and this adds to their legacy. When you talk about the great teams, like I said, with the Spurs, that they have that second run in them, that they kind of retooled around the main core. They had that main core. Now the main core might not be the same guys they were initially when they went on their championship runs, but now they are still a really good team that you could build around and they have the intelligence to play together. They know each other's games so well. They're so smart. They know how to play together. And that is what beat the Mavericks the way they beat the Mavericks in the first three games. And that's why they knew to put them away in game three and not let them linger in this series. To Luka for a second, because it seems like this wonderful fun run will come to an end for Luka Doncic. Um, I think a lot of people at the beginning, early stages of this playoff run, or even the second half of the season when this team really did start to surge, people looked at Luka as an incredible player, but no one was really taking it seriously because we know the limitations that Luka has, which are very few, but we just know the uh, winning aspect of it the limitations from that aspect of it and it reminded me as he continued to uh, thrive and continue to climb the mountaintop and get better and better and then eventually beat I think that was his peak where he beats the 64 win team in a game seven on the road and just completely dominates them um, after coming back from down 2-0 in the series so that's the peak for Luka this year and at that point I think people were starting to look at him as oh my god this is incredible this is going to be the guy but I do want to remind everyone We had a similar story last year, and it's with another guy who's been linked to Luka Doncic his whole career, 
And it's with Trey Young. We looked at Trey Young last year and we said, oh my God, this is the guy. This is his moment. He went into New York and he was the villain and he took over Madison Square Garden and he beat the Knicks on their home court. And then he went to the next round and won that. And then he almost beats Milwaukee at, to go to the finals right after beating the six. So we have the same type of thing that we saw with Trey Young last year is happening with Luka now. And it's so funny because... Everyone at the time last year was like, hey, that trade, right? The trade that they made, all of a sudden, not so crazy, right? We're trading Trey Young for Luka Doncic. Maybe it actually made sense. Maybe Trey Young is the better player. And now if you look back this year, it's like, oh, no, obviously Luka's the better player. Look what Trey Young did. He was a, They were a train wreck this year. And so it's kind of hard to tell, but what's going to be the next step for Luka? Is he just the next Trey Young? Is he a guy who falls off completely next year? Or is he a guy who can build on this and turn this into a real superstardom that lasts a long time, that makes him a perennial championship contender, no matter what team is around him and what team he's on. He is one of those real all-time great players. So no one's arguing that Luka has the talent and skill to be the latter. He can definitely be that guy, and I think Trey Young also has the talent and skill. And I think what it all comes down to is mindset, and what they want to be is his willingness to adapt. I talked about this uh, with Luka Doncic, is he going to look at this series? I talked about this last episode or two episodes ago. Is he going to look at this playoff success and say, I'm good. I can be me. I can rest on my laurels. I don't have to change. Or is he going to look at this and say, man, I was so close. I got to get hungrier. I got to go not physically hungrier. That would be bad. I need to go get in shape. I need to go work on my defense. I need to go work on involving my teammates. Look at Chris Paul and kind of adapt some of the things he does. Look at LeBron James and kind of adapt some of the things that he does. I'm more talented than those guys. I can be the greatest player if I go and I try and get my teammates involved. And I know he has a lot of assists, but we talk about it. It's the ISO stuff. It's the heavy usage. It's just kicking it to the corners. If he can become a guy who is really involving his teammates so that when he needs to take over the game, he can and it's easier for him and he gets in better shape so that he can stand up on the defensive end. And I think Jason Kidd, who's been proven to be an excellent coach in these playoffs, I think he needs to work with him this offseason and tell him, hey, look, you could be really, really great. And that's what it's going to depend. If Luka wants to be that great guy, if he wants to be, we're going to see him take a major step forward. And if he doesn't, if he looks at this and says, I'm good, look what I did, look how I did it. Not only is he not going to take a step forward, I think he'll take a major step backwards the way Trey Young did because he's all of a sudden going to look at himself as some sort of great thing and it just doesn't happen that way. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Luka going forward, but a really impressive run by him. And maybe a more even more impressive run by the Warriors. Like at some point this season, we were legitimately talking about, yeah, it just can't happen. I know early in the season we're like, hey, this team is back. This is the same Warriors. Just wait till they get Clay. Then we see Clay come back. He's a shell of himself. Steph's dealing with injuries. Draymond's dealing with injuries. And it just felt like, you know, it's just too hard. They they've done it for too long. There's too many miles on these guys, blah, 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 etc. And yet, no, they're back again and they're one win away from the NBA Finals. So really impressive from the Golden State Warriors. To the Eastern Conference um, and the Celtics and the Heat. And first of all, when you looked at the four teams that were remaining in the NBA playoffs, you looked at the Celtics, the Heat, the Mavs, the Warriors. It was really great. Whatever matchup you threw out there for the league, it would be fantastic. Other than the Heat. The Heat don't play a fun brand of basketball. The Heat don't have the superstar necessarily that you can market or anything. Or even the big city. Obviously, Miami's a big city, but it's not like a big basketball city. It doesn't feel like um, the way Boston is. And it felt like the league wanted Boston to win. And I really thought game one was going to be the Jimmy Butler game where he was... His feelings were hurt. He felt like everyone was out to get him. Everyone was against him. Everyone was picking the Celtics. I'm going to win this game, shut everyone up, prove everyone wrong, and then fold in the rest of the series. And then they come out in game three in Boston, and they win again. 
And not only did they win, they kind of embarrassed the Celtics, if you ask me. I think the Celtics felt like, how did we lose this game? How did this happen? How were we dismantled like this on our home court? They looked like a different team. They all of a sudden didn't know what to do anymore with themselves. And so that's a really interesting piece of this. The Heat looked really good in Game 3. And then Game 4, the Celtics come back and dominate them. So this series has been all over the place. I don't know which direction it's going to go. And that's really been the story of the Heat. If you look at the Heat, I've never seen a team that the media members flip-flop on more than the Miami Heat this year. And they're like, when they're playing well, it's Heat culture. It's these guys. Oh, my God. It's Bam. It's Jimmy. It's Kyle Lowry. Those guys who just buy in. Those smart guys. PJ Tucker. And then when they're losing, it's like, well, they don't have offensive weapons. Um, You can't just win with toughness. They don't have shooting. Jimmy Butler is not a real scorer. He's not a real leader. Kyle Lowry's too old. It's just back and forth, back and forth. Every time they do something, the media totally flips on them because... That's what this team's been like. So to tell you, I know what's going to happen the rest of the series. I can't tell you, but I do think Jason Tatum is the difference in this series. Jason Tatum is becoming that guy. Jason Tatum is that guy now. He went to head with KD and beat him. He went head to head with Giannis and beat him. Jimmy Butler is not going to be the guy that stops him. That said, the reason they've played so well, PJ Tucker has pride. Kyle Lowry has pride. Bad Mount Abayo has pride. Jimmy Butler has pride. Those guys are guys who play hard, who play with pride. They might not be more talented than this Boston Celtics team. Although, <laughs> the Boston Celtics team that featured a lineup of two Williams, Peyton Pritchard, Jason Tatum, and Marcus Smart at one point, and was still dominating, which is just amazing. If you would have told me four months ago that that lineup was dominating in a playoff game, I would have been like, what? Are you kidding me? Who are they playing? Like it's insane what they've been able to do, and all the credit goes to Ime Udoka, and really a lot of the credit still goes to Jason Tatum again. But I wouldn't count the Heat out of this series because of those guys I mentioned. They have the pride, they have the pedigree, they feel like everyone's counting them out. But at the same time, I think the Celtics are a much better team, and the Celtics I think should win the next two, win in six, and go to the NBA Finals, and. As far as the Celtics, it's just a really fun team. Like I said, they're coached well, they play hard, they play defense, and they have a young budding superstar, and we'll see how far he can take this team. And then we'll have some questions if Jason Tatum can't beat this Heat team and can't go to the finals after beating KD and beating Giannis. Who knows what we'll be talking about if that happens, but I don't think it will happen. Like I said, I won't be shocked if it does, though. I am going to talk about my Rangers and their game tonight in Madison Square Garden. Uh, game four of that series trailing in that series two to one to the Carolina Hurricanes but I do want to talk about before I get to that my Yankees for a second because while they were cruising along and nothing was happening it felt pretty interesting uninteresting they were just going to win every night and now they've reached some adversity and I think despite the early season and the lack of success they were five and five it was 10 games in right so I think this is the first real adversity that they've had all year. They lose three in a row. They lose the doubleheader and all the things that surrounded it with the fight between Tim Anderson and Josh Donaldson. Obviously, we know Josh Donaldson is there to rile up his teammates and rile up the opposing team. We've seen it against us, and now we're seeing it for us. Um, And I don't mind it. I think this team needed a little bit of heart, needed a guy who can actually hold his teammates accountable. And I don't mind Josh Donaldson being that guy that said... Obviously, you don't condone any sort of racism, if that's what it was. Um, I'm not going to speak to what it was. I don't know what it was. I don't know where he's coming from. I don't know Josh Donaldson as a human being, and I don't know Tim Anderson. Um, And I know that the only guy who actually called it racism was neither of those guys. It was Tony La Russa, the manager, who seems like he was just trying to stir the pot. Whatever it got Tim Anderson going, and he totally dominated the Yankees in that doubleheader, 
and the Yankees lose. But the Yankees issues, the bullpen, number one, obviously, with Aroldis Chapman. Uh, he's not the same guy anymore. I don't think he's going to be the closer anymore. We knew that. If we can get some sort of innings out of him, that would be helpful. So we'll see what happens with that. Chad Green now out for the year. Um, and Chad Green, while <laughs> Yankee fans might remember him for just throwing fastballs down the middle at 95 and giving up big home runs in big spots, he's actually a guy who's been relatively reliable for the Yankees out of the bullpen for a long time. Um, and that's probably the last we saw him in pen stripes because if he's going to get Tommy John surgery, he's out for the season. He's a free agent at the end of the year. So I don't think we'll see uh, Chad Green again as a Yankee and I thought he was a good Yankee I thought he was a really solid Yankee he saved them what was it the wild card game against Minnesota in 2017 after Severino imploded so there's an appreciation level for Chad Green there um, that I think Yankee fans should have whether they do or don't I can't speak to um, but based on Yankee Twitter maybe they don't but um, I appreciate Chad Green and what he's done for this franchise and so uh, I'd like to see him get better and get back on a mound soon because I like that guy um but unfortunately, he's out. So now the Yankees ha- might have a bullpen issue. Uh, if those two guys, that's that's a big two pieces of the bullpen. Even if you weren't relying on them, even if you didn't trust them as your top guys in the bullpen, that still makes the bullpen thinner. I think there's a Garrett Cole issue here. You know, he cruises along for a couple of games there and had some really nice starts. And then last night in a game where it was kind of must win, stop the losing streak, game with a little bit more pressure... Cole doesn't show up or he gives up five runs. Yeah, maybe he showed up a little bit, but the Yankees come back. They tie the game. Aaron Judge hits the two-run homer, and then he immediately relinquishes the lead. That's not something you could do. That's not something an ace does. You know, we don't give up five runs to the Orioles in a game that the Yankees need to win. And now this is a pattern we've seen in Cole, with Cole in games that he needs to win, in games that they really need him to be the man, the ace, the $324 million man that they're paying him. Garrett Cole is not that guy. And the Yankees have an accountability problem. It's an Aaron Hicks problem, maybe, but it's more of an it's more than just an Aaron Hicks problem. Aaron Hicks playing lazy plays in the outfield and then getting picked off the way he did at second. That's on top of not hitting at all and not walking and being terrible at the plate and being two for fifty with runners in scoring position. You're doing all that and you're still being lazy and making bad plays in the field and making boneheaded mistakes on the base paths. And I know Aaron Boone can only stick with the lineup he's given because of injuries, because of COVID, all these different things going on. He can only work with the players he has on his roster, but at the same time, you have to find a way to discipline this guy. This is a guy who's now proven he's disinterested. They have to trade him. They have to get rid of him. I don't know what to do with Aaron Hicks, but it's not just the Hicks problem because if Hicks is doing that and getting away with it, then there's an overall accountability issue because he's in the lineup. He's just going to jog back out there every day after. I don't mind. I'd rather have Joey Gallo, who at least he cares. At least he's trying hard. I don't care how many mistakes he makes, how many times he strikes out, if he's actually cares and actually putting in the effort. But a guy like Aaron Hicks, that you can't tolerate. If you're a baseball team, you can't tolerate a guy who's going to go out there and give zero effort and make mistakes like that and not seem to care and just be totally lazy. That's something that as a team, as a franchise, as a manager, you cannot tolerate. So I talked about Josh Donaldson holding guys accountable, but really it's got to come from the manager. It's got to come from Aaron Boone saying that's not okay. And he says after the game, yeah, but we've had a conversation about it. But how many conversations do you have to have before things change? And if you're not benching him and if you're not taking him out of the lineup or doing something with him, I don't think things are going to ever change. And that's a real problem. All that said, I think the team's still 29 and 13, something ridiculous like that. They need to right the ship, and there's going to be adversity throughout 162-game season. It seems like Aaron Judge is determined to make $500 million on his next contract. He's been lights out. He's been insane. He's tried to carry this team, 
And I think basically what's going to happen moving forward is this team is going to have to show that they are resilient, which is a good thing. I think they can prove that despite you don't want the team to just be winning all the time and have zero adversity. You have this series now against the Orioles. You have a couple games left and then you have the Rays, a team that's beaten you up the last couple of years and is a really good team and probably the best competition for you in your division. Go out there beat this these guys the Orioles the easy team and then beat the Rays prove that you are a resilient team and you could come back from tougher situations like this and then we move from there nothing happened you still have a great record it was a couple of games a little blip on the radar and right the ship make it right but if you let this linger and you let this continue then all of a sudden it could snowball we could be looking at this team a lot different kind of the way we looked at this team last year and I don't want that to happen so moving over to Madison Square Garden and Game 4 at Madison Square Garden tonight. The series kind of reminds me a little bit of the Kings series uh, in the Stanley Cup Finals. And the reason why is because every game has been close and yet the Rangers could lose in five, right? (laughs) I'm not saying that's going to happen, but we saw how the first two games in Carolina went. The first two games, the Rangers are right there. The Rangers maybe outplayed them in game one for most of the game. Not maybe, most likely. Game two, the Rangers aren't outplayed by a lot. Even though the Rangers stunk in game two, their defense was really good. And they limit the Hurricanes to, what, like 17 or 18 shots on goal. And they're totally trapping them. And they don't score a second goal till they get the empty net goal. But it's one nothing on a bad mistake, on a shorthanded goal that the Rangers give up, on a power play that looked totally inept in games one and two for the Rangers. Those two games were really close. Those two games were games that the Rangers could have won, and yet they lose them. And game three was the same way. Carolina could have easily won that game. I don't think the Rangers outplayed Carolina by a large stretch, if at all. Maybe Carolina outplayed the Rangers in game three, and yet still the Rangers come away with the win in that game. Igor kind of steals a game. The Rangers' defense was still good. They get a couple of soft goals. Carolina's only goal was also a really soft goal, even though despite they had uh, more higher quality chances than the New York Rangers, that's not what they scored on. So the Rangers' defense has looked so much better. And if you think about it, Johnny's kind of right. He talked about on the last episode about how there's no Crosby line on this team. And we've kind of seen that the Rangers defense has been much better uh, against the Carolina Hurricanes. They've kept everything to the outside, forced them to take bad shots. And game three, the Canes were just like, hey, we're just going to throw a ton of stuff on net, see what goes in. It did work for one of the goals. The Rangers defense is completely different than they were in the Pittsburgh series. And I talked about the Rangers playing up and down to the conversation and to the competition and kind of matching the style of play that their the teams they play against play. And the Rangers, we talked about this all year. It's a good thing and a bad thing when a team finds ways to win, when they're not playing very good, but they find ways to win. The negative is what we saw in game one, where they were just finding ways to win. And then all of a sudden, it's like, they don't, (laughs) you know, because they're not playing well enough to win and they still find a way until you don't find a way. And that's kind of a problem with teams who play like that. I think the Rangers tonight need to come out and actually play a really strong game on both sides. The good news for the Rangers is it's 2-1. It's not a series till a team loses on home ice. That's what you say in all playoff series. So you go down 2-0 on on the road both games. We know that Carolina is not a great road team. They lost all three road games to Boston. I think the Rangers are better than Boston. And it's not a series till the home team loses a game. Don't be that team. If you're the Rangers, don't be the first home team to lose a game. The great news, Igor is back. What he's done really since game five against Pittsburgh has been insane. He's been the guy that we've expected him to be. He's been the guy we've wanted him to be all year. So if you need Igor to steal you a game in the series, he can do that. And he's kind of been doing that the way he played the first three games. The Rangers could have won any of those games despite maybe being outplayed because of Igor Shesterkin. Don't put him in a position every game that he has to steal the game for you. The Rangers at some point have to win a game on their own 
as a team and hope that Igor can steal one in this series. So you you got to win tonight to give him a chance to steal you a game so that you can steal a series. I do think that this is going to be the hardest series for the Rangers. I think that if they can get past Carolina, who knows? I, I'm not going to even talk about that because Tampa, we know the pedigree. We know how good they are, but the Rangers had some success against Tampa this year. Tampa had has had to play a lot of games over the last two seasons, right? They've played more games than anyone in the league winning back-to-back cups. I wouldn't be shocked if maybe they're at the end of their run a little bit, even though they have a long rest now before the next series because they just swept the Florida Panthers last night. But if you're the Rangers, you got to look at this series and say, okay, let's take this one game at a time and... Yes, maybe we're going to need Igor to steal us a game, but today we need to win this game tonight. And we might have a repeat situation of what we had in the first round. I talked about this with Domingue. He was all of a sudden reverting back into the third string goalie that he is. And then Tristan Jari gets thrown into the fire in a game seven on the road in Madison Square Garden. You don't want to do that to a goalie, right? And now Ranta might be in the same situation where anti Ranta's played relatively well, actually, in this series, pretty well. But if they decide to take him out for Freddie Anderson, who's been practicing and skating and taking shots for the Carolina Hurricanes, then all of a sudden, Anderson comes in in the middle of a series, totally cold, hasn't played off an injury in a couple of weeks. You're going to do the same thing. That could be an advantage for the Rangers again. So that's why you, it is so important that the Rangers win tonight. And the recipe for the Rangers tonight, you have to score early. We know this game, the last game kind of got chippy at the end of the game. Ryan Reeves was talking to the media about it, about how, you know, it's all about winning the game. We can't get tape. We can't take dumb penalties. Obviously, Gallant talked about that also. The Rangers, yes. Do I want to see Tony D'Angelo's face down in the ice with the Rangers stepping on his back? Yeah, probably. I'd like to see Ryan Reeves beat him up. Um, but that's not what's important. What's important is if let them beat themselves. If the Rangers go up a couple goals early, first of all, Carolina's game is to play from ahead. They want to get the lead early and then just hold the lead. Kind of like the way the Islanders play. It's a similar style of play. They want to play defense. They want to hit you. They're not going to take a lot of scoring chances. But all of a sudden, if the the Rangers score a goal or two early, then all of a sudden that forces Carolina to now have to take more chances on offense. And it also, we saw what happened with Tony D'Angelo against Boston. If he gets flustered, if they're down a couple goals early, all of a sudden Tony D'Angelo, he's going to be the one who's trying to go after the Rangers. And that's when Ryan Reeves can hit him without taking a penalty and maybe entice some of the Canes players, including Tony D'Angelo, to t- take a dumb t- penalty, make a dumb mistake, do something stupid that he might be prone to do. So for the Rangers, you have to get the Canes flustered. You have to score early and then let that lead stand up, let Igor do his thing. It's not a series yet, but tonight is the series. Tonight, I think, is a really is as important of a game as there will be for the Rangers in this series. You have to win this game tonight. And I think you have to do it by scoring the first 10 to 15 minutes of this game are going to be crucial for the New York Rangers. And he talked about who showed up in the past for these games. So it's actually a Draymond Green quote when they t- asked him about why. It always seems like in the playoffs they're successful. Um, he said that there are 82 game players and there are 16 game players. Yeah, there are some guys who put up stats, put up numbers in the regular season. Those are what he called 82-game players. Then there's the guys who in the playoffs show up and are difference makers. P.J. Tucker is a 16-game player. He might not be an 82-game player, but he's a 16-game player. The Rangers have shown that they have some 16-game players in this series. Tyler Mott has shown he is a 16-game player. Alexi Lafreniere is a 16-game player. Keandre Miller is a 16-game player. Same goes for Philip Heedle. Same goes for Ryan Lingren, by the way. 
The Rangers have those guys. But now it's time for the 82-game players, the guys who, when we needed them most, show up. They need to show up in Game 4 the way they did in Game 6 and 7. It's obviously Chris Kreider, Mika Zibanejad, Artemi Panarin. You need Andrew Kopp to show up. I don't know what Gerard Gallant's going to do with the lines tonight. He might shuffle them a little bit. Maybe he puts Capo on the line back with Panarin. We saw that have success earlier in the season. Vetrano and Cop together kind of looked good. I don't know if he throws Hedl again up on the top line. I thought he looked good there too. At the same time, do you want him to split up the kid line? That's been the best line for the Rangers throughout. Maybe if you need to get your superstars going, maybe that's how you do it. The bottom line is the Rangers need their top guys to be the top guys tonight so that they could win tonight, tie the series, and get back to Raleigh tied at two because that is the most important thing. And while I'm not confident yet in this series, I've never lied about that from the get-go. I never said I was super confident about the Rangers going into this series. But I'm now hopeful. And the reason I'm hopeful is because how this team played. The team has played incredible defense the first three games, but they haven't peaked yet. I don't think they've played their best yet. I think they've played really good, but this is not as good as the Rangers could play. We've seen the Rangers play better than this. If they win tonight, I'd be really confident that Igor can steal a game and the Rangers can win another. All that matters is tonight, though. All that matters is going home, one game, one shift, one period, one game. That's how you have to look at this game. Don't look ahead. Don't look behind. Just focus on this one game. Dominate tonight. Don't get away from your game. Don't get flustered by what other guys are doing on the ice, whether it's Tony D'Angelo or anyone on that team. Focus on your game. Play your best game. Win tonight. Go back to Raleigh tied at two, and then we can take it from there. I did want to give a quick career update, actually, because I like to talk about my career. I, I specifically come on here and like to update people, and I don't think I've done it in a while. Um, so I am trying to start something new a little bit later uh, this month, hopefully. So we'll see what's up with that. Um, I've been doing traffic reports. If people have seen that, I kind of posted that on my uh, Instagram. So check that out. Uh, I think I'm going to be doing it again Memorial Day weekend. So keep an eye look out for that. But I was selected as one of 12 Odyssey employees to be part of a MLB project listening to baseball games. And I specifically requested to listen to John Miller, who is the broadcaster of the San Francisco Giants. He was the voice of Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN from 1990 till 2010. Um, and he was one of the first guys who, when I was a little kid, even as a kid, I realized, oh my God, this guy is special. This guy is different. Um, he's a really good broadcaster. And he's one of the people that I looked at as, oh, wow, I kind of want to do this for a living. That guy is incredible. So getting to listen to him and getting paid to listen to him is just something where it was like a pinch myself moment where I was like, this is incredible. It's super cool. And I know it's not where I want to be, but it's just another milestone, another stepping stone where 11 year old me would have been like, wow, that's crazy. You get paid to listen to the guy who you literally idolize um, and is one of the best, one of the best uh, broadcasters in the game in any sport really today. So still moving forward, still working on a bunch of things, still trying to keep going with my career. But that's all I got for here. The rest is all about tonight at Madison Square Garden. Let's go Rangers. That's all I got. I will see you all next time. You were the best nights of my life. You got the light that always shines. I miss the way that you move and the way I get high When you take me to your eyes Like I'm standing in the sky I see your subway cars and your old graffiti I breathe your air when I land in another city I'll be that one that's got you printed on my bones Yeah, you're all I know
Wanna drive down Riverside See the birds flying on the high line With the sidewalks burning We pray for rain in July I want the Yankees 99 yeah. And the Knicks on a soaked out night When the curtains close And the Broadway streets are alive hey. I need your heartbeat close Don't you ever leave me And I breathe your air When I land in another city I'm still here. 